Okay, this is where I'm supposed to introduce the guest speaker. So I'm going to do a redo. Uh, so I would like you guys to please welcome Reverend Daniel Flynn and his wife Lisa to Shadow Mountain Church. Good morning. What a blessing to be here. Uh, you have no idea um, what it's like to uh, sit on the other side of the country waiting for this moment. Uh, you have no idea other than sitting on this side saying, what are we in for? So um, what a beautiful praise team, amen? And the two guys up here weren't bad either. I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to start with something very light because uh, this is a beautiful day. This is a beautiful day. Um, uh, before I get into the stuff that I have prepared, uh, I wanted to spend a good hour, hour and a half with you before we get into that. Um, Chris asked me something uh, this morning uh, when Lisa and I got here. Uh, we were just chit-chatting, and uh, he asked me, uh, that all-important question, he said, I don't know if you get nervous or not. And I said, well, I really don't get nervous. Um, I, I get nervous in some venues, some things, uh, but this is where I feel comfortable most uh, is up here, right here and doing this. But then that got me to thinking, Chris. I, was, I started running back in my mind. Of course, none of this was planned this morning, but I'm, I, I'm a storyteller. I like to share stories. And this is this goes way, way back in the very, very beginning of my ministry before I even knew I was going to have a ministry. Um, I was a youth at uh, First Baptist Church, Ross, Ohio, and I was in the youth group, but the, the association uh, would sponsor a skating night like once a month for the entire association, and all the youth would go to the skating rink and skate. And uh, I remember going to that one time, and uh, uh, the guy who was over this whole thing, uh, he said, what would make this better and make more kids come? And I told him, I, I said, I spoke up and I learned this about myself. I don't know when to stop speaking up sometimes, but um, he said, what, what would make more kids come? And I said, can I be honest? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, if you quit getting boring preachers to come here and give the devotion and have something fun, they might want to come. And he said, great. Why don't you do it next time? I had never spoken a day in my life in front of anybody. And I said, okay. So I had a month to prepare to speak at the skating rink to all of my peers across the entire association. And I'll never forget, I walked in that night. I walked into that meeting that night and everybody was skating. I was just sitting over in a corner sweating. And I'll never forget, they called everybody out and they sat them down and they said, okay, tonight, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Danny Flynn is going to give our devotion. And I had three by five cards, and I know I had a stack about that thick. And I got up in front of everybody, and I went through them in a record 20 seconds. <laughs> Well, that was a good evening. Hey, God bless you. Have a good night. So that was my first foray. Yes, there was a time that I got extremely nervous. But uh, here, I, I'm just thrilled to be here. If I'm anything, I'm keyed up and so happy to be here. But uh, Lisa and I have had uh, a great time. Um, I've joked around all weekend about the fact that I'm living in about 
15 different time zones, uh, being in Hawaii last week, which makes me sound like a world traveler, uh, but uh, taking my daughter and my granddaughters back to Oahu. Uh, I was actually in a church last Sunday in Oahu, and this Sunday I'm in Nevada. Isn't that amazing? And in between there, I went back to North Carolina, and I'm just... Uh, but I was in a church called Anchor Church and uh, uh, had a great, great experience there last Sunday. And now I'm here looking at you and you're looking at me. And I'm going to stop looking at you. You can keep looking at me if you want to. <laughs> but I'm going to open up my Bible to Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you would be going there. Uh, I want to share with you just real quick. Um, you have a quote there in your notes. And uh, it'll be up on the screen a little bit later. But uh, it's uh, from uh, a book by Tom Rainer called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Uh, and uh, boy, I hope we don't wind up this message as, uh, as um, depressing as that sounds. An autopsy of a deceased church. Well, thank God I'm not in a deceased church this morning. Yeah, there you go. I knew somebody. It's like, well, somebody call the coroner. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, read Acts chapter 8 real quick. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read one verse, and that's verse 4. Um, and uh, it, it's amazing that you can uh, derive an entire message out of such a short verse. Uh, but you'll see why here in just a moment. It says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray together real quick. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful, beautiful day to be in your house, to worship, to, uh, to sing about indeed how great thou art. Oh, and uh, the, the crescendo of that song, one day we're going to uh, see you face to face and we're going to cry out how great thou art. And Father, uh, we're here today and Father, I want to cry out how great thou art. Her Father, uh, you are an amazing God. And the things that you do, the ways that you do them, uh, transcend my understanding so often. Uh, Father, what a blessing it is uh, to be your child, to be amongst the redeemed. And Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would bless our hearts with your word. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would motivate us, encourage us, love us, and send us and use us. Father, may you gain the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 4,000 to 7,000 churches will close their doors annually. I don't know what the numbers were. I never did go back and look them up. Don't want to know because it's such a depressing concept. Uh, but back when we had the, uh, uh, the, great, um, the great sneeze uh, as a country called COVID, and uh, I, I know that the numbers ramped up even higher than that, doors closing on churches. Um, it is uh, uh, an epidemic, it's, and it's, it's scary. Um, uh, but uh, I want you to see what Jesus did uh, back there in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 1. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive 
but you are dead. We are living in an age where churches are dying, and I want you to understand that the ideal of this message this morning is not just that churches are dying and literally shutting their doors, but my concern is as much with them as it is with those churches that will have their doors open this morning. There's, there's churches around this country this morning that are going to have their doors open. And they're even going to have people that come in and sit in their seats. But those churches are amongst the number of those four to 7,000 who indeed are dead, but nobody has checked the pulse. Do you follow me? They're there, but they're not alive. <laughs> oh, to be a church that is alive. The, the title of the message this morning is a high-impact church. I'm wondering in the back of my mind how many of you know why the title of the message is a high-impact church. Why would I come here this morning with a title like a high-impact church? I love to make people listen on a Sunday morning. So guess what? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> not until the very end, I'm going to tell you why it's called a high-impact church. You're going to learn why the title is a high-impact church, but it's going to be almost the very last thing you hear from me this morning. So now you have to stay awake, and you have to look at me, and you have to listen. Or you can sit there and go, I wonder if he's winding up. I better tune in. That's up to you. <clears throat> there is no greater example of a high-impact church than looking at where we're looking at in the book of Acts. The, the church of all times was a high-impact church. I would love to go back this morning and start with Acts chapter 1 and run all the way at, up to this moment and where we are in Scripture because it's exciting to watch the high-impact church that was being birthed, being born, and growing at exponential moments. I mean, it was growing like crazy. I mean, what would you all think that if at the end of today, before Lisa and I hop on an airplane tomorrow to head back to the other side of the world, if we had 3,000 people added unto this church. Does that, put, does that put scripture into perspective for you? It does me. It, you say, well, that's impossible. Not according to the word of God. 3,000 people added unto the church. <laughs> that's amazing. That's exciting. This was an exciting time. It was a high-impact church. And I believe I'm not so concerned with numbers as I am with what God is able to do through a handful of people who are completely and utterly sold out to what God wants to do. Oh, to understand and to know the heart and the mind of God. There's only one way to get there. There's only one way to, to have that experience, and that is to dive into the Word and to live as he's called us to live. Um, a church sign once read, a church alive is worth the drive. <laughs> well, that's a bumper sticker, isn't it? <laughs> church alive is worth the drive, and it is. Doesn't matter uh, where we are, where we're sitting. If we are an alive church, then people are going to come from far and wide. You say, well, there's not 3,000 people. How many, how many are here in this area? What? 
8,000? Boy, we, we, we'd steal some from churches, wouldn't we? 3,000 more people. They're going to come. The question is what we have to determine and identify and learn to incorporate is what it is that makes for a living church. So that's what we're doing here this morning. Let's find out. And three easy points and a poem. That's fun. That was funny. <clears throat> I'm going to have to teach you all what's funny. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <clears throat> a church. A church on the move is a church that is alive. What does it mean to be a church on the move? <laughs> Verse 4 says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, the church is not a huddle of the chosen frozen, the frozen chosen. It's, a church is not a place where we come and we say, well, guess what? We're church. We are a church. Well, we're Shadow Mountain Church. So guess what we did today? We went and we worked Shadow Mountain Church for approximately one hour and 15 minutes or whatever. Uh, it could be an hour and 30 minutes or 45, depending on when I finish. No, that's not when Shadow Mountain Church is Shadow Mountain Church. Matter of fact, Shadow Mountain Church, any church is not a real church until that church gets up out of their seat and walks out the front door. That's when the church comes alive in its culture and it changes its culture. Here, you know what we're doing here? I, I stood here, or no, I sat there while Chris stood up here and he prayed a simple prayer. But I want you to understand that's a misnomer. There is no such thing as a simple prayer. Matter of fact, he didn't share with me anything this morning, but I heard his heart breaking for somebody that he knows and a situation that he knows and a particular moment that he was experiencing and he poured it out to God. You know what church is all about when we come together on Sunday morning? Church is all about us getting together, encouraging one another, teaching one another, training one another, praying for one another, helping each other lick our wounds from the week or from whatever we're going through in life to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to undergird one another, to, to promise to pray for one another. We, we, are, we are family when we come here. This is a good thing, and I encourage it strongly. Matter of fact, I give it a 10 out of 10 stars. Coming to church is important, but going out and being the church, that's the calling. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be a church that's on the move. What do you do when you're moving about? What do you do? Let me ask you a quick question. Ladies, the last time you saw a great deal on a dress or a pair of shoes, did you ever call anybody else and tell them? Oh, yeah, you got to tell them about where the good sales are. You got to call my friends and tell my friends what's all happening. We want to we share great news. Well, I'm telling you, there's no greater news than what we've got. And when we go about and we're on the move, we should be sharing the gospel. We should be sharing the gospel verbally, but we should be sharing the gospel by living it out. They need to see the gospel on the move, and that's who we are. The church was not huddled together. They were out and about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. To be gathered as the church is a great thing. But we're here, and we're here to celebrate, and then we're to go. Saturday. 
as we live out our faith in our mission field Monday through Saturday, we should be telling others about the relationship we have with our Savior. Um, I'm not telling you this to brag. I'm telling you this to give you an example. Um, we're thinking about moving to Gardnerville. I don't know if you all are aware of that. Um, and there's a lot of things that go into that. And I, that, that's not presumptuous. That's just pr- very smart planning because, you know, it's got a lot of things to happen if that really happens. And if you all want us, well, we got to figure out how to do that. So we've been talking to Ryan, and Ryan got me in touch with a, uh, with a local mortgage company, and the mortgage company called me. So I was talking to him. I'm like, I'm not ready to talk to a mortgage company, but it's nice to talk to the young lady. So I was talking to her on the phone. And, uh, and uh, I said, yeah, Ryan said that you all were the best, that, that you had the best-looking office staff and everybody. I, just, I was just playing it up with her, just joking around. And I said, yeah. I said, as a matter of fact, um, I'm going to be in Gardnerville, and I'm going to be at Shadow Mountain Church preaching. So um, why don't you and everybody there at the office come? And, oh, really? Thank you. Thank you for that. I said, well, you're welcome, but I, I really hope to see you. Well, okay, thank you. I, I'll write that down, and I'll share it with Brandy or whoever. And I hung up the phone with her. Well, um, this past week, I got another phone call from her. She said, I heard that you all are coming to Gardnerville, so I just wanted to say, if you need anything while you're here, give us a call, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, great. I said, I doubt it, but, but I do appreciate that as far as uh, doing anything formal with you all. Uh, they're closed on the weekend anyway. And she said, but Ryan knows how to get up with us. I said, okay, that's great. I said, uh, and she said, well, I hope to see you soon. I said, well, I hope to see you Sunday. And she said, what? I said, well, I said, I hope to see you Sunday. And she said, oh, yeah, that's right. You invited me to church. I said, yeah, I really mean it. Why don't you come to church? She said, well, thank you. What's the name of the church again? I said, it's Shadow Mountain Church. And she said, okay, I wrote that down. I'm going to tell everybody here at the office. As you move, as you go, use what you got. Got to invite another young lady yesterday to church. She's great with child. Her name's Gina. I'm praying that she's here at 1040. I can't wait to meet her. I mean, to greet her here. She's supposed to bring her partner, whatever that means. I'm good with it. I want to I know who the partner is. As we go about, <laughs> my great prayer is that God ignite a fire in this place. When the gospel begins to spread, when God begins to move, know that trouble will come. That goes back to that prayer that I heard Chris praying earlier. When you're doing what the, what the Lord calls you to, the enemy doesn't like it. You all have read enough about me so far to know that right now I'm CEO of a pregnancy center. And I'm telling you, that's a frontline ministry. And I'm telling you that there's not a person there in the two years that I've been there who have not experienced some fashion or form of some calamity in their personal life. The enemy doesn't like what we do. Saving lives. Uh, you know, Jesus, in talking to the disciples right before he uh, went back to sit at the right hand of the Father, he said, uh, you've seen all these things. I'm paraphrasing. You've seen all these great things that I've done. Well, you will do even greater things. My entire ministry, brother, I've wondered. Jesus said, we're going to do even greater things? What could possibly be greater than what Jesus did. Well, I had to step back and I had to say, well, what was the greatest thing that Jesus did? (laughs) Well, as far as miracles go, other than dying on the cross and redeeming uh, 
uh, us, all of mankind, uh, taking care of all of our sin, what was the greatest miracle that he did? What was the most fantastic miracle? Lazarus. What's the rest of it? Come forth. Raising people from the dead. And I'm like, well, Chris, how have you been doing with that lately? Man, I just, raising people from the dead. Well, in the abortion industry, once a girl takes a pill, that baby is certainly going to die. Unless she reaches out to an organization that has the abortion pill reversal. <laughs> she contacts us. She comes, gets the pills. She takes that and it reverses that certain death of that child. It's like raising that child back from the dead. It's like, You're awesome. <laughs> we serve an awesome God. We serve such an awesome God. We need to have that fire, but I want you to understand the enemy doesn't like it. There is one man who said, the devil is not persecuting Christianity today. He is professing it. He is not fighting churches today. He's joining them. That's the enemy. <clears throat> the enemy wants to stop what I'm talking about. The enemy wants to stop the church from being alive. And we just simply have to do one thing, and that is be prepared. <clears throat> be prepared to endure. I pray that we endure. Number two, <clears throat> what time does this service usually end? No, I knew you were going to say that. Now give me a time. 10.20? <clears throat> I'm really not worried about it, but you know. Okay, I'm not worried about it. <clears throat> Number two, the message. Did you see that? The message. The message in a church that is alive. We got to pay attention to the message. Listen to what that simple little verse said. They went everywhere preaching the word. John, I didn't write this down for you. You might want to write it off in the margin. John chapter one, beginning with verse one. In the beginning was the word. Hmm starting to take on a little bit different connotation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They had a message, and that message was about Jesus. That's all talking. John 1, 1 and following is all talking about Jesus. I've got a long story about that. That would take us well past that time. You'll hear it one day. <clears throat> But the word, I want you to pay attention to the fact that they went everywhere preaching Jesus. They went everywhere preaching the word. Evangelism is vital to the health of a local church. I want you to understand this, this group in the book of Acts chapter 8 were scattered due to the dispersion. Um, and again, time is always uh, pressing in on us. But this is all following Stephen being stoned. It's, uh, it's following <clears throat> um, uh, Paul uh, and the persecution and then the, everything changed about. And it's just, it's amazing where we are in Scripture here. But they went everywhere and they told people about Jesus. What I believe is one of the biggest struggles in the church to understand is that the church is the one institution that is designed not for the people that are in it, but the people who have yet to become a part of it. Did you hear that? This is made for them. 
the 97% of unchurched people in the Carson Valley that so desperately need to hear the good news. They need to hear about Jesus. <clears throat> they need to hear about the word. They need to hear it, and they don't need to hear it from a pulpit only. Hey, you better hear it from a pulpit. If not, you all are about to make a horrible decision if that's not what you're getting. <clears throat> I'm serious about that. I'm, I mean, if you don't hear the word, then it's, you, you better be looking elsewhere. You've got to have the word. But the word doesn't need to come just from the pulpit. Let me, let me help you understand one thing to be true. If they, if they, if they want to know, they have to hear. And if, they, if they're going to hear, who's going to tell them? A preacher. Well, guess who the preacher is? The preacher isn't the one who stands behind the pulpit only. The preacher are the redeemed, and let them say so. Amen? Wow. What an idea. I was working at Womack Army Medical Center. Uh, <clears throat> I just looked at this note and I thought that I missed half of my notes. I was like, man, we're going to wing it from here. <laughs> it was on the backside. Uh, I was working at Womack Army Medical Center at Fort Bragg, which is now, I'm not even going to say it, they changed the name. <clears throat> um, but uh, I was working in physical therapy there. Uh, went, to, went back to school to get uh, the additional skill identifier as a physical therapy technician. And part of my schooling was when you went to your first duty station after your, your formal schooling, you were guaranteed, according to the Army regs, one year on station for on-the-job training. So uh, they could have sent me anywhere. I've been on uh, Fort Bragg for three years, jumping out of airplane with the 82nd Airborne. Went to school down in San Antonio for my physical therapy. They could have sent me anywhere in the world, and they sent me back to Fort Bragg. <laughs> See the world, they said. <laughs> it's called Fayetteville, North Carolina, but that's okay. I went there and uh, was back uh, at Fort Bragg working in my first clinic seeing patients, learning. And uh, one month after I got there, uh, the NCOIC got orders and left. I was the senior ranking in the, center, in the, in the uh, clinic, so they made me NCOIC. So I no longer got to do patient care, which was horrible. And because I, I, I really wanted to do patient care, but it was okay. So I, I ran that clinic for it was a month or two. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but uh, there were four physical therapy uh, uh, clinics on Fort Bragg at the time. And the NCOIC of all of the clinics got orders. <laughs> and I was the senior ranking. And I became NCOIC of all physical therapy on Fort Bragg, which was insane. I mean, it was, what a blessing it was. It was fun. But let me tell you about the greatest experience I had. All that lead in for a great experience. One of those clinics was called an inpatient clinic at the hospital. And it was for patients that were in the hospital but needed physical therapy as part of their uh, treatment plan for whatever they had. If they had just had knee surgery, they just had heart surgery, uh, they would come to that inpatient clinic. They would take them from their room up there. And the, I had one technician who worked in there. And so I would go by every once in a while and check on my technician, make sure that they were doing their job, going and getting patients and whatnot. So I went up there one day, and this soldier was there, and he didn't have a patient at the moment, which was fine. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just in between patients. So I sat there and talked to him for a few minutes just to uh, kind of grill him on some things, make sure everything was going well and whatnot. And then an uncanny thing happened. <laughs> this was 
probably my greatest experience as NCOIC of physical therapy on Fort Bragg. And it had nothing to do with physical therapy. This guy looked at me and he said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, yeah. He said, well, do you like go to church a lot? I said, well, yeah. He said, I thought you did. I said, why? And he said, well, you're weird. <laughs> I said, weird? What do you mean? He goes, well, I know a lot of people go to church, and they're just really churchy, snobby people. Sorry, I'm sure he was not talking about any of you. He said, but you're not. He said, you're just real. We're both in uniform, both wearing BDUs. Not allowed to talk about that, brother. Not unless he asked me. Guess what he just did? You're weird. Why? Sit down. And I had the opportunity to sit there and share with that young soldier about why I'm weird and why Jesus makes me weird and why it is my greatest joy to be weird. I'm wondering how many of you want to be weird. Think on that for just a minute. I'd love to, I'd love to tell you, man, I'm an, I'm an amazing evangelist, and I sat there and led him to Christ, and he is now, um, he did not accept Christ that day. But you know what he did? He received some seeds that were planted in the soil of his heart. And I, to this day, don't know what's happened to those seeds. But I do know one thing to be a fact, and that is that God's Word, His Word, my Jesus, He never comes back void. God is doing something in that young man's life. For God to use us, we must be in right relationship with him. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in right relationship with a holy God? That means that we walk a perfect walk. That means that everybody sees us and says, oh, they're a Christian and I want to be just like him or her. I'm, wow, look at that amazing individual. Crystal clear, never sins, never makes a mistake. Amazing. That's what that means to be right. And, right? Uh, that might be the call on our lives. What's the call? Be ye holy likewise just as I am holy. That's the call. We're called to holiness. But I serve a, a, a real God who really knows who we are. I'm certain that you all have heard the uh, illustration of the watchmaker. The watchmaker, uh, uh, you know, if you've got a watch and, and it breaks, who's the best person to take it to to get it fixed? The best person would be the one who made the watch. You can take it to somebody else, but the best would be the one who made the watch. Why? Because the one who made the watch knows what makes the watch tick. Because they made the watch and made the watch to tick. And they know that if it ain't ticking, they know probably the problem without even opening up the back. But they open up the back and know exactly what to do, and they can replace it and fix it and make it tick again. Let me tell you something. You whether you know this or not, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. My favorite psalm in all the world, write it down, go back there and read it this afternoon and just find the joy 
of being a child of God. Psalm 139, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, I know you're wanting to write it down. Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139 is the psalm that changed my life and, and rescued me very, during a very, very dark time in my life. And when I realized that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, all of a sudden, <laughs> I realized that I don't have to be perfect, but that <laughs> the watchmaker wants to continually redeem me. Salvation is not a moment. Salvation is not just that moment where you go, oh, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I don't want to go to hell. I'm good now. Can we get wet? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what, what the redemption thing is all about. Salvation is a wonderful thing. And listen, salvation and evangelism, it is so vitally important to an alive church. But I want you to understand, it is merely the first step in, in, the, in obeying the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, make disciples. Making disciples, the first step in making a disciple is leading them unto salvation. Then the work begins. <laughs> then the, the discipling begins. Discipleship. I'm going on so many tangents it isn't funny. Maybe I'm nervous. <clears throat> I want you to think about your Christianity, your faith, your walk with the Lord, where you are in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're an infant. Maybe you're a new believer. And caution, you may be a new believer and have been uh, a member of a church for 50 years. You could have made a profession of faith 60 years ago and still be an infant. You might be uh, a new believer in that you've only been a Christian for a couple of weeks. I, I'm not worried about time. I'm not worried about any of that. What I'm worried about is this, you identifying where you are. I'm not going to make you stand up and say, well, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. This is where I'm at. That's, that's unimportant to me. What is important to me is that you identify where you are in the discipling process. And I, I like to look at it this way. It's like a waterfall. I love waterfalls. And this is like the, the stair-step waterfalls. It's where this guy right here pours into this guy or gal. Don't, don't get caught up in all that. But as this one pours into this one, this one shouldn't be just happy with the fact that somebody is pouring into them. As they get poured into, they should be pouring into this one. And this one should be pouring into this one. And this one should be pouring into... Discipling is not, well... Uh, I, need, I need to be discipled. I need to find somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. No, I don't care about time. Discipling is understanding where you are in your relationship with Christ, finding someone who can pour into you, and then finding someone that you can pour into. That's what it's about. This is what this is what this is all about. But the evangelism, I don't want you to get caught up with, with this idea that all we have to do is go out soul winning. I want you to understand that if we're going to be obedient to what Christ has called us to as the church and as children of God, then we have to obey the Great Commission. The first step is evangelism, but it doesn't stop. The work begins. For God to use us, we must be in right relationship with him. 
That is seeking to grow in him, seeking to grow in our understanding of the word, seeking to be obedient to his call on our lives, and seeking to find out where he wants us to be most effective. Look, I don't know where you are. I don't, how many of you are still working and actively employed someplace? How many of you have been employed in the past? How many of you would like to be employed someday? I'm just, that, that was humor. <clears throat> We already had all the hands up, okay? Listen to me. This is, this is vitally important. And it's one of those things that I believe with all of my heart. Your job, I don't care if it's past or if it's present, your job is the means by which God has chosen to support your personal ministry. Did you hear me? Let me say it one more time because it's a little bit convoluting the way that I go about it. Your job is the means by which God has chosen to support your ministry, your personal ministry of evangelism, your personal ministry of, uh, of discipleship, your personal reach into this lost and dying world that so desperately needs you. You have to be in right relationship with him to be an effective part of an alive church. I want to be a part of an alive church. Look, church is a lot of things. Church is beautiful. It's a tapestry. Some are pretty, some are ugly, some are smart, some are smarter. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> it's a tapestry of people. It becomes family. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we have those who, who, are, who are deep, and we have those who are growing. We have those who are coming. We have those who are discovering. And it's, it's this family, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the key is, I'm describing a church that is alive. Those dead churches that haven't checked their pulse, they don't know the person sitting next to them this morning unless they're married to them or they birthed them or that they don't know the other people. They're checking off their religious box. I've done my part. Now let's go home and let's watch a football game or whatever it is that you're going to do. Go to a dance of candy. <laughs> Three and final point because it's only 20 minutes long. Listen to me. This is so important, and I'm going to give you something to remember this. The man, Jesus Christ, in a church that is alive. <laughs> then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. I had gotten out of the army and... Lisa and I were praying about what God was going to do. I had saved up like six months of leave time. So I was getting paid by the United States government and the taxpayer. Thank you very much. 
uh, for six months to do nothing. But I was not just doing nothing. I was looking because I wanted to uh, go back into ministry. It was my heart, my passion. Uh, look, th- those six years in the military, uh, don't think there wasn't ministry. <laughs> that was just a unique ministry time for me, just like that moment in that clinic with that uh, soldier. But <clears throat> regardless, we were looking, and, and Lisa looked at me, and she said, it's great that you're getting paid, and it's great that you're looking for ministry. She said, but it would be great if you went and got a job. Yeah, you thought we looked like the perfect couple. It wasn't always perfect. I'm just kidding. So I did. I went and got a job. I went and got a job. And I'm very proud of this job. It was one of the highlights of my life. I went and got a job selling cars. Such a lofty moment in my life. And uh, selling Cadillacs and uh, Chevys and um, uh, Hondas. Um, And I could not stand that job. It was a horrible job. But uh, I was working one day, and this, this man came into the showroom, and we had this S2000. The owner of the dealership, uh, the Honda S2000, it's a little sports coupe kind of cars, really fancy. And uh, uh, the owner, every year, he would give his wife a car to drive for one year, and she would bring it back and get another new car. That's one of the perks of being the owner of a car dealership, I guess. But... Um, this S2000, after she had driven it for a year, they brought it and put it on the showroom floor and put the original sticker back in the window. And I was like, okay. So this fella comes in one night, and he's uh, got on this raggedy T-shirt and these uh, just blue jeans and kind of unkempt hair, you know. And so he starts walking around the showroom, and there's like 15 of us salesmen. I mean, it was, it was crazy the way this dealership worked. But nobody approached him. So I walked up to him. I said, hey, how you doing this evening? He said, pretty good. I said, uh, you like the S2000? He said, yeah, it's a sharp little car. He said, uh, how much are you all asking for it? Because he knew. He was smart. He knew that it wasn't a brand new car. And I said, well, you know what? I don't know. That's the original sticker, but let me go ask my sales manager. I went up to the sales manager. I said, um, how much are we um, selling the S2000 for? And he said, is there a sticker in the window? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, read the sticker. I said, Really? You're going to sell this car for... It's used. There's a sticker in the window. Okay, so I went back over and I told him, I said, well, it's, that's the price. And he said, okay. He said, well, I'd like to take it for a test drive. Okay. At this dealership, you had to go back to the manager to get the keys. And I went back to the manager and I said, uh, I need to take the car on the showroom out for a test drive. He said, I'm not getting that car off that showroom floor if you don't sell it. I said, I don't really know how that's going to work. Because I can't sell it until I take it off the showroom. I said, well, give me the keys and I'll sell the car. So he gave me the keys. We got off the showroom and we went for a test drive. I will never forget this test drive. Went on the test drive. The way we did the test drive, the salesman drove the car to about a halfway point. You get out and you go around and you tell them all about the car. You've got a captive audience. They're parked out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) You're going to listen to me. So on the way to that rally point, this man, who, by the way, um, how many of you remember the the Ford Mustangs back when it was uh, a fancy thing to have the louvers in the back window? You remember that? This man that I'm taking on a test drive was the one who patented those. He had a couple of dollars in his pocket. He's a multimillionaire. I had no idea who he was at the moment. This man looked at me and said, you seem like a smart kid. I said, well, thank you. 
for the smart part and the kid part. <laughs> and uh, he said, why are you selling cars? I said, I'm just doing it for now. I said, I'm, I'm looking for a church. I'm going to go back into ministry. He said, oh, now listen to this. He said, so you know the man, Jesus Christ. I had never heard that phraseology before. I'd never heard Jesus responded or re referred to as the man, Jesus Christ. I remember, I was shifting. And that car was fast. It gave me some oomph. It's like, the man, Jesus. I said, yes, I, I know him personally. I said, do you? He said, yeah. He said, I'll be real honest with you. I'm struggling right now with him. I'm going through a divorce. And it's just a really low time for me. And I got a chance to pull over and walk around the car and talk about how Jesus could impact him. We got back to the dealership. He traded in his BMW on my S2000 and he paid sticker price. And he sent me a Christmas gift. Built a relationship. All that story to tell you this. He taught me that night about the man. Jesus Christ. Philip had one goal, one focus, one purpose. He preached Christ. He preached about the man. He wanted you to know about the man. He didn't go out to make a name for himself. He wasn't looking to build a mega church. He wasn't uh, trying to uh, uh, write a book and become uh, a millionaire. He wanted people to hear one thing, and that was Christ. He preached Christ. He went about and told people about Christ. I wonder how many of us, and this isn't to heap fires of coal on your head, what this is is simply to get you thinking. I wonder how often we think about going out into the community and going to the hairdresser, going to the barber, going to the checkout line at the grocery store, walking in the park and meeting people. And the first thing we think is, I wonder what their relationship with the man is. I wonder how often we do that. How, how do we go about the community? I see Philip having one goal, one focus, one purpose, and that was preaching Christ. He wanted the message to go out about the man. We can go on. We can talk about a bunch of others, and we are right now. The focus was Jesus and Paul's preaching, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The focus being on Christ and the salvation that he offers to all of mankind. Jesus was the message that Peter preached. <laughs> To the high priest, Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I went to um, uh, Uganda, Africa. This was about four years ago with a buddy of mine named Johnny Bird, a pastor in Western North Carolina. We've been friends for eons. Uh, we had gotten together and we'd been to Uganda many times and we, were, we got to talking and praying and I, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I wonder if there are any unreached, unengaged people groups in Uganda left. He said, the Lord's been asking me the same thing or uh, putting that on my heart to ask the same thing. And so we did some research. There's two. There's two. One group is called the Mening. The other group is called, I can't remember. 
just being honest, because the Mening were the only ones that mattered. It's a small people group, about 10,000 people strong. About 10,000 people strong. And I said, well, how, how do we go about doing that, Johnny? So Johnny and I sat down. We prayed about it. We talked about it. We strategized together. We have an indigenous pastor that uh, lives in Palisa, Uganda. We contacted him, asked him to do some research. He took a trip up to where the Mening were supposed to be, and he found them, and he engaged with them just to find out who they were, what they were. He went back home, called us. We scheduled a trip. We went back there. We went up to Uganda and look, these people lived in the, in the mud huts, thatched roofs. I mean, they have nothing. These people have nothing. You know what, how they get uh, any kind of uh, commerce at all? They grow sunflowers and they harvest the sunflower seeds and they press the sunflower seeds and make oil and they trade the oil for things that they need. Isn't that fascinating? The only other thing they know how to make is alcohol. They make homemade alcohol. And all of the men in the village are drunk by one o'clock and sloshed for the rest of the day. Very sad existence. We went and we engaged them and we shared with them the gospel. I'll never forget that day. Johnny went one way, I went another. And we went hut to hut evangelism. And it's the only time in my personal life where I shared the gospel, and every time I shared the gospel, everybody I shared the gospel with said, yes, I want Jesus Christ in my life. Awesome. I'm a great evangelist. <laughs> or the people are really hungry for truth. That's really what it was. Johnny came back, and he said, what was that like? I said, Johnny, it was the most amazing thing ever. And he said, wasn't it? He said, do you know everybody that I shared the gospel with said, yes. They were hungry. Before we got there, before we shared about Jesus Christ, I want you to understand, they had no concept of how to be saved. They believed in the spirits in the hills. And it kind of reminds me of this. It's the Kadepo Valley. In Uganda and they live just at the base of the mountains and they could look up and see the mountains and they believed that there were spirits that lived in the mountains and that they weren't that they had no interaction with them they just believed that they were the ones who caused it to rain or caused it not to rain they believed that they were the ones in control of everything but they had no interaction they believed nothing and then we told them we had to teach them what sin was what is sin? Then we had to tell them sin was wrong. And then we had to tell them how they could be forgiven for the sin. And when we got to that point and shared Jesus, they were like, yes. Why? Because it all starts to make sense. <laughs> oh, that's all that Paul was doing. That's all that Peter was doing. That's all that Philip was doing. And that's all that we're called to do is to help the world make sense of the mess that they're in. Listen, I want you to understand one thing to be true. In this room right now, in this room, matter of fact, anybody who's watching, in this room right now, there's only one kind of people in here. You know what that is? Let me give you the, the title of what you are. Broken. No, let me, let me make that better. It's, it'll sound better this way. What all of us, we are, we are broken. Because it sounded really like I was telling you, you were and I wasn't. <laughs> no, we're all broken. 
And let me tell you something. You want to put it into a math equation? Uh, put broken people plus broken people. Put it on a line. And then underneath that line, put P-O-D. You know what that is? That's these broken people that are being divided by the prince of darkness. But put an X beside all of that and multiply that by the infinite power of a holy God. <laughs> and when we multiply broken people meeting with broken people being divided by the prince of darkness but we multiply our experience by the infinite power of God what equals is discipleship evangelism and discipleship lives being changed I'm happy to be broken because I know that amazing watchmaker and he wants to fix me and you for the churches that are dying churches, they each have one major thing in common. They have lost their focus. They've lost their focus. Jesus is no longer who that church is about. It becomes more about the people of the church than the Savior of the church. When I say the people of the church, I mean the people of the church who want this or that to be their way or that way. And they, they get so caught up in the things that they want and they desire. And it becomes about the people and what the people's desires are. But it needs to go back to that laser focus. Who is Jesus? What's Jesus about? What's Jesus called us to? What's Jesus sending us to? And how are we going to be obedient to that call? That's what it's all about. <laughs> it's a great day when God's church realizes that this thing is not about them. It's about Christ and Christ alone. Bottom line, if the church is not alive, the answer is not to blame someone else. The answer is to look in the mirror. That's a painful thing many times. We only have a short time to make an impact in this world for Christ, so we should determine to make it high impact. Let's be on the move, sharing the message and making it all about the man, Jesus Christ. Maybe there will be encounters and evidence and excitement among the body of believers. May the world look at us and say, they're weird. They don't just say it. They live it. How can I get in on that? High impact church. Why in the world would he come on a Sunday like this? That is a Sunday that could change the very life of this church. Could change the very life of his bride and himself. Why would he come and preach high impact church? Well, I want to tell you why. And I'm glad you hung on this long or woke back up. It's because it's the one thing that drew me to Shadow Mountain above everything else. Look, I told the committee, uh, I, I, I went and I Googled Shadow Mountain Church and I found it on the map. And Google, if you don't play with Google, you're missing out. Because I went to Google and I went to the map and I went and clicked on Street View. And Street View pops up, snow-covered mountains. I was like, well, that's kind of pretty. <laughs> and you can spin it around. And I spun it around. And I saw this building. I said, oh, now that's pretty. But that's not what drew me to this church. That was the initial. Unplanned, sorry, got to, got to interject this. Have you ever met a couple... <laughs> 
I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm doing this. Have you ever met a couple and you look at them? Chris, I'm just going to look at you. I don't want to look at everybody else. Now, have you ever met a couple and looked at a couple and you look at them and you're like, oh my goodness, how did these two fall in love with each other? <laughs> Can I tell you a secret about that? When you see an unattractive couple, heck, I might be that guy. I don't know. You might be looking at me going, hey, ain't much to look at. How do you get her? You know, I... God placed in our heart things that are attractive to us. And that's why we are attracted to some people and other people are not. And it's the same thing with something like this. You fall in love with things from the outward and then you get to know. Well, I fell in love with that picture of the mountains and the picture of a building. But then I went to the website and then I started digging and started digging. And I tried my best to avoid the pictures of the staff. But I found this, and I want you all to hear it because I didn't say it. You did. And you say, well, I didn't write anything on the website. No, no, no. You are a part of Shadow Mountain Church, which means you're a part of what's on that website. You say, I'm a member there, and I espouse what it says. And this is what your website says. Hmm. And this is what drew me to you and why I had to focus today on exactly what high impact church means to me. You say God has now positioned Shadow Mountain Church to become a high impact church, bringing the message of Jesus Christ to the entire Carson Valley. You want to know what enticed me? That phrase was the moment of falling in love because what I just shared with you from the Word of God is my passion and my love. My prayer for you today is that regardless, and I'm being dead serious in this moment, regardless of where we are in this process and all of these things, forget all of that for just a minute. And listen to the word. It says, we are supposed to go with the greatest message ever told to change the lives of people who are broken, hurting, dying, and destined for a devil's hell and show them that there is hope and there is a future and there is salvation and there is the love of God waiting for them. Go and be alive. Heavenly Father, God, I do love you. I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that um, you'll use something that's been said, something uh, that has been shared, whether it's your word, whether it's a story, whether it was uh, even down to a mannerism or maybe it was just the worship songs. Lord, that you would impact lives. And Lord, that we would be sent as the alive church of Jesus Christ. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.